Chapter Twenty Nine of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter Twenty Nine. Remember, Steddon was not exactly a runaway. She was a walkaway. She was not included in the pitiful bead-roll of the 65,000 girls who vanished from American homes that year and caused a vast pother, though girls have been running away from home since girls and homes were. They have followed the cavemen, the barbarian invaders, the allied troops, the caravans, the argosies. They filled the primeval factories and the places of merriment, the Corinths, and the Alexandrias. Some of them became slaves and some sultanas priestesses, royal favorites, empresses, tsarinas, queens of song and art. Some starved, some flourished. Mem felt that to go back would condemn her to ignominy and futility, while to stay away promised a chance for wealth and glory. She heard voices calling her, saw spirits summoning her to the skies, no less than Joan of Arc did, and perhaps with no more insanity. But now her mother had found her out and was pursuing her. Her mother would be as grave a problem to her as she to her mother. The fall from the cliff that did not quite free Mem's soul from her body had quite freed the little parasite soul that was to have been her conspicuous fardel to bear through life. But the tiny leech had begun to drink her blood, and in its death it tore open a wound that would never quite heal. Her soul had bled and she had been stricken with awe before the two miracles that fastened a life upon hers and then wrested it from her before it was quite a life. The letter she had written her mother then had been the instinctive cry of a child beset in the dark by some enormous presence passing overhead. Just as instinctive was the compulsion that drew her mother to her across the continent. Old Mrs. Steddon had raised a family and been habited to a mother's slumber, light and fitful and broken with frequent dashes to bedsides troubled by bad dreams or imagined burglars or mere thirst or a cough mrs steddon had always flung out of her own warm covers to run to the call if her hasty feet found both slippers or one or neither she hastened as she was she would not have paused for a wolf an indian a murderer a fire or an earthquake mem was still her baby in the dark and it did not matter whether she lay needful and terrified in the next room or beyond the deserts or the seven seas the mother's one business was to get to her her telegram was her old night cry i'm coming honey don't worry mamma's coming to her baby she shot this cry across the continent and called mem baby although mem felt as old as night the reverend dr steddon had wished that he might go along but his church tasks held him, and he could not find the money for two fares. The lies he had been told had succeeded to perfection. Mem's efforts to hide herself and support herself in the wilderness he assumed to be her usual unselfish and characteristic unwillingness to be a bother to her father and mother. Dr. Steddon agreed with his wife that she must set out at once for Palm Springs, he raised the necessary funds by lifting still more of his little savings from the bank and drawing pauperdom closer. His only regret was that he had not more to sacrifice. And now Mrs. Steddon was following Mem's train route with all the difference in the world. Mem, a young and beautiful girl, 
had had all her fate before her and a heart of growing audacity and reckless ambition mrs steddon an old and shabby parsoness had all her hope behind her and that not much and a heart full of inexperience and of timidity before everything except self-immolation when mem learned that her mother was already on the train she could devise no plan for turning her back somehow she had to be met and provided for every one of the women of mem's hollywood household was out of work she who had savings was lending them to her who had not one of the women in the bungalow gave up the fight and putting up her little car for security borrowed from leva money enough to pay her fare home to the village and the scornful relatives she had sworn never to return to except in triumph the servant had been released and the stranded women were cooking their own food such as it was it was this dire confrontation with bankruptcy that had goaded mem to her insane idea of pawning her virtue for an opportunity when the casting director had given her a sermon instead of a quid pro quo she had found herself abject indeed even her shamelessness repulsed and her last trinket proved non-negotiable and now her mother in every deep a lower deep but leva responded to her panic by an almost hysterical bravery she laughed i'll dig a little further down than the sock and added the trital bravery cheer up the worst is yet to come with a few dollars from leva's waning resources mem took the train to palm springs her one remaining hope being the confidence that when she returned she would find a letter from mr Terry saying that she was engaged she reached palm springs in time to have a little talk with mrs dack who was closing out her business and good will as a washerwoman and preparing to take her boy terry to the golden city of los angeles this was a gamble indeed and mem was frightened by what she had set on foot she found nothing so terrifying as having her advice accepted she had not realized what an army of children was already quartered in los angeles by working all the time and never spending much mrs dack had accumulated a pittance that looked like a fortune to her she would find that los angeles prices were not scaled to keep retired laundresses in luxury for an extended period but that was for the future she and her boy and mem stood on the platform waiting for the up train and when mrs steddon dropped off the steps mem put her right back on again she ran forward and persuaded the baggageman to carry mrs steddon's trunk on to los angeles it was only when the train was flying once more through the desert that she and her mother found a chance for real greetings and then they were restrained by the presence of other passengers at least mrs steddon was restrained mem was stimulated this simple familiar matter of a mother and daughter meeting again after a long parting revealed the gulf between them mem had crossed the gulf she had dwelt in the blazing sunlight in a bright a gaudy bungalow with noisy friends the house was made to look well from the street the toil of all the inhabitants was toward publication the entertainment of the public mem's new ambition was to parade her emotions before the world and storm the world's emotions there was far far more in this than mere conceit or ostentation she wanted to help mankind by educating and exercising its moods 
as even the most ardent evangelist is not without anxiety for public attention for the meekest has his pride and his greed of notice from his god if not from his public so now mem felt that it would be a shame to let these strangers think she did not love her mother tremendously she devoured the little old woman with kisses and caresses and she did not keep her voice inaudible that was her new ideal of devotion she was advertising her love a little but no more than religious people flaunt their creeds mrs steddon was no less aglow with joy in the recovery of her lost lamb and no less aware of the audience but she felt quelled by it and under an obligation not to disturb it by her personal emotions at home she lived in a dull old house as devoid of architectural fripperies as of graces the blinds were always down and the ideal of that house was that the neighbors and passers-by should never know of its existence good houses were seen and not heard she was troubled by mem's voluble enthusiasm her warm clothes her careless rapture her demonstrative affections she did not mar the festival by rebuking her child but she grew a little more quiet and reserved as if to give a hint or at least to lower the average mrs steddon's body had traveled thousands of miles but her soul had not budged she was just what mem had left in the village looking indeed a bit more village in her bonneted shabbiness than before but to the mother mem was altered almost beyond recognition her spiritual wardrobe had been enormously enlarged and the clothes upon her body were of another world los angeles has fashions of dress that are all her own many of the moving picture people are conspicuous anywhere by their sartorial differences even the wax figures in the shop windows of los angeles have a challenging spirit unlike any other waxworks the dummies attitudinize beckon and command attention by their uncanny vivacity where the indolent wax figures of shops of other cities are content to stand still like clothes racks and make no effort to sell their wares mem had acted a role in makeup before cameras she had learned to dance and swim and ride to compete with young men in athletics business repartee and flirtation her body was no longer a hateful shroud of the spirit but a finely articulated galloping steed for the soul to ride and put through paces she was so changed outside and in from coiffure to footgear that at first her own mother had not recognized her in the young actress who swept down upon her flung her back on the train and treated her as a fresh air fund waif later she realized with embarrassed admiration that this brilliant butterfly was what had come out of the dun chrysalis that she had named remember she had loved the child but had never suspected her of being so capable of so many metamorphoses the swift journey from the mountains and through the desert into the orange gardens was repeated for her in the journey she made now with mem's soul the girl's first questions were eager demands for news from home but then her talk turned all to herself she was selling herself to her mother as she had tried to sell herself to the casting director mrs steddon had been prepared to find a scared and sickly child in a shack in palm springs she had come as a rescuing angel she found that her wings and halo were old-fashioned and her child doing better without her than ever she had done at home as mem's tongue outraced the train 
the dazed mother learned that her baby was now a fearless adventurer upon the paths of ambition, that she was actually one of those appalling creatures known as an actress, and a movie actress above all things, a movie actress below all things. Mrs. Steddon's comments were simple gasps and reiterated well-wells. Mem's autobiography was hardly finished by the time Los Angeles was reached. And now the abashed immigrant that Mem had been when she faced the crowded streets and the taxi comments was as sophisticated as if she had been a native daughter of Los Angeles. She sheltered her mother as if her mother were a newcome immigrant of immature mind. They left Mrs. Dack and Terry at the home of a cousin, then sped on to the bungalow. Leva, who ran out to whisk Mrs. Steddon into the shrimp pink residence, found her calm and serene, but it was the calm of chloroform. She made no resistance to Leva's disposition of her and her things. She accepted the vacant room and made no demur at the decorations left by its late occupant. Snapshots of rollicking beach parties, of horseback rides through canyons, of Greek dancers, of postal cards with queer photographs and queer jokes, portraits of stars and others, all in a high state of excitement. During the train ride and Mem's chatter, Mrs. Steddon had been doing some earnest thinking in a little private brain room just back of the auditorium. Her husband had pledged her to write him frankly how their poor child was and how soon she would be strong enough to be brought back home. Mrs. Steddon had promptly realized that Mem was far too strong to be brought back home at all. She realized, too, that if she wrote her husband frankly just how Mem was and what she was up to, Dr. Steddon would probably fall down dead in his study or have an apoplexy in the pulpit when he stood up to scourge the sins of his congregation and felt his whip hand stayed by the fact that his own sheltered pet had gone wronger than any girl in town of recent memory. Mrs. Steddon did not want to commit murder. She was not like that ancient monster of self-preservation, who said that if all mankind stood on a balance to be dumped into hell unless he told a lie, it was his duty to tell the truth. Mrs. Steddon was one of those craven wretches who would have told a million lies to keep one poor soul from being dumped into hell. She had never quite understood the extraordinary precedence the truth had usurped over love, mercy, courtesy, and convenience. She never lied in her own behalf or to save herself from blame. She sometimes lied to shift blame to herself from her children. She lied to the children about Santa Claus, about how quickly bad children are punished and how inevitably good children are rewarded, about how infallibly right their father was and such commonplace household perjuries. She lied to her husband incessantly about how wise he was, how eloquent. She applied untruth generally as a kind of arnica, a first-aid panacea. Her only hesitance now concerned just what untruth it was safest and most satisfactory to tell him. She was a wicked old woman, and it was small wonder that she rapidly lapsed into enormous popularity among the lost souls of Hollywood. Fortunately, her daughter left her alone for a while, and she had time in her bedroom to work out an attractive lie. She must say that Mem was well. That was a good, solid fact to rest the springboard of fancy on. She must explain 
that Mem had left Palm Springs for Los Angeles. Why? Well, because she had a chance to improve her position, and her doctor had said that Palm Springs was too full of palms or something. A doctor's advice was the best bet, because a doctor was the only human power that her husband recognized as superior to his own impulses. Next, what was Mem doing in Los Angeles to support herself? She had written that she needed no more money from home. It would be fatal to say that she had entered upon a cinematic career, and it would be adding humiliation to infamy to admit that she had lost her job, even in that inferno. Mrs. Steddon chewed the end of the penholder into pulp before a light from some place inspired her. Old Increase Mather, in explaining how old witches did not always sink when thrown into the water, observed that the devil can also work miracles, and it must have been Beelzebub who upheld this old witch of a Mrs. Steddon in the deep waters about her. But the miracles of hell, like those of heaven, confer only a temporary benefit. Dr. Steddon would accept her falsehoods without suspicion, but woe unto her when he should learn the hideous truth. For the moment, however, Mrs. Steddon was inspired to write to her trusting husband that she found Mem in very good health and engaged in nice, light, ladylike work in the public library at pretty good pay, considering the cost of living, also that she was boarding with some right nice ladies, also in library work, at the address given. She closed with some remarks on the beauties of California, a land the Lord had been awful partial to. As she finished this letter, Mrs. Steddon felt dizzy. She wondered if her giddiness might be the first symptoms of whatever it was that carried off Sapphira and her husband. But remembering that Sapphira had fallen down, she decided to lie down first. She fell asleep and did not know that Leva Lemaire, peering in and seeing her there stretched out, white-haired and benign, had looked upon her as a tired saint, and tiptoeing in had spread over her a Navajo blanket of barbaric red and black. While her mother slept, Mem wept, more freely and copiously than in all her life before. End of chapter 29 Recording by Deanna Beauvais